0: Notes and Testimonies Part 2 of Toussaint Louverture, A Biography and Autobiography. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by James K. White. Toussaint Louverture, A Biography and Autobiography by John Relly Baird. Notes and Testimonies part 2 3 by john bigelow the following description of a visit to the chateau de jeux was published 2 years ago in the new york independent it is from the pen of john bigelow esquire the accomplished associate of william cullen bryant in the editorship of the new york evening post who is now in 1863 a consul of the united states in italy it is not necessary to point out the few errors of memory that occur in it for the reader of the preceding pages will notice them at once returning to paris by way of lausanne from a hurried trip to geneva last winter i took the somewhat unusual route over the mountains to pontalier i wanted to get a view if possible of mont blanc from the heights of the Jura to become better acquainted with the people of this department of France, whom, of all the French, I most admire, and, above all, to visit the famous Château des Jeux, where Mirabeau was confined at the time he contracted his scandalous engagements with Madame Monnier, the Sophie of his Vincennes, correspondence, and where Toussaint Louverture died, a victim to the treachery of the French government and the severity of an Alpine climate. As the diligence passed under the Fort des Jeux, the chief object of my pilgrimage before reaching Pontalier, I dismounted, allowing my baggage to go on to the Bureau des Postes. The fort, now more than seven centuries old, stands upon the very summit of a solid rock about 500 feet high, which descends very abruptly on all sides, and by its position at a defile in the mountains, commands the approach from every direction with three hundred men it was impregnable in former times notwithstanding which in consequence of its great value as a frontier fortification it has changed hands more frequently than almost any fortress in france outside of paris i found a small garrison at the fort consisting mostly of soldiers just returned from italy who were lounging about in the last stages of disgust with the monotonous perch to which they were condemned A chatty old woman, who acted as concierge, promptly responded to my request to visit the castle, by running for her keys. She then led me over the portcullis, the ornaments of which showed that it was built before battle-axes and bows and arrows went out of fashion, into the courtyard where the commandant resided. The first curiosity to which she invited my attention was the well of the castle dug through the solid rock down to the level of the little river orb, which winds along the base of the hill a depth of at least five hundred feet. My cicerone, to give me some idea of the depth of the well, threw in some stones from which no sound or echo of any kind came up. This well was built for the use of the garrison during a siege, though in ordinary times they are supplied with water caught in cisterns. It has not been used for many centuries if ever the citadel when it has changed hands having generally been betrayed or shared the fate of battles fought elsewhere the well was built my guide told me and her information i have confirmed from other sources by the serfs and vassals of the feudal proprietor of the fort in the ninth century she lowered her voice when she added that multitudes who went down to work in its abysses never returned to the light of day. Indeed, the tradition is that they were told when they were sent to their work, that they were not to return till it was finished. They were obliged to dig large recesses at regular and convenient distances in the sides of the pit, as their excavations progressed, and these were their homes during their frightful imprisonment, from which most were relieved only by death of all the dreadful shapes which man's inhumanity to man has ever taken there are few which feed the imagination with more fearful visions of misery and despair than were reflected from this dark impenetrable mirror framed five hundred feet deep in granite when i considered that all the enormities of which this structure had been the occasion and the theatre were perpetrated in the quest of water in all ages and countries the consecrated emblem of truth I was struck for the thousandth time with the resemblance which runs through all the forms of human perversity. While pondering the question whether France had gained any more substantial advantage from her endless and sanguinary ecclesiastical wars than from the sinking of this dismal pit, which the dews of heaven that fall alike upon the unjust and the just, made superfluous, My guide led me to another part of the fort, where she showed me an opening, like a closet in the wall, about three feet deep and high, and perhaps four feet long. Here she informed me, Amory, one of the earliest proprietors of the chateau, confined his wife, a young woman of only seventeen years, for infidelity to him during his absence with the crusaders in the Holy Land, in 1170. He hung her suspected paramour upon the mountain immediately opposite, and confined Bertha—that was her name—in this mural sepulchre, which was too small to admit of her standing erect or lying prostrate, or, indeed, of stretching her limbs in any direction. The only view of the outer world that she could get was through a little window, cut so that she could see the remains of her lover dangling from a distant tree. After some ten years of indescribable misery, death released her from her prison and from her brutal jailer. The good old woman, who related this legend tearfully, although I have no doubt she had told it a thousand times before, gave great force to her denunciation of the cruel crusader by adding that, after all, Bertha was innocent. I fear, however, that this was a slight rhetorical embellishment which, as a woman and a sister, she felt at liberty to indulge me with, for I have since seen a historical sketch of Pontalier and its neighbourhood, made by M. Giraud, the librarian of the city, and a most diligent and faithful archivist, in which Bertha's frailty is conceded. This fact, however, does not in the least diminish the horror which such a monument of cruelty and brutality inspires in our day crossing the court and passing along the gloomy corridor of stone i was next led to a door which as my companion proceeded to unfasten she informed me was occupied by the negro. it was the dungeon of toussaint first called l'ouverture by a french officer because of his military prowess in opening the ranks of the english soldiers with his sword during some engagement though of african origin and forty-eight years a slave he took advantage of the revolutionary troubles in France, and subsequent hostilities between France and England, to make the blacks of San Domingo independent, and himself President for life. Bonaparte, who approved of the lead he took in saving the colony from the English, was solicited to approve the action of the Central Assembly which made him President. Toussaint's letter bore the following somewhat memorable, but not altogether conciliatory superscription. The first of the blacks to the first of the whites." Bonaparte's answer was taken out by Leclerc, his brother-in-law, and thirty thousand of the best troops in France, who issued a proclamation apprising the islanders that the French general had been sent out as the first magistrate and captain-general of the colony. Toussaint bade him and his master defiance, set fire to the Cape, retired to the mountains, and resisted the invaders with such success that at the end of eight months napoleon's brother-in-law had but three thousand effective men out of the thirty thousand that had landed with him finding it impossible to conquer toussaint leclerc invited him to a conference under the usual pledges for his safety and when in his power regardless of his own honor or that of his master or of the nation so gravely compromised by his conduct he hustled the two confiding negro on board of a ship and sent him to france after a brief confinement in the temple at paris napoleon ordered him to the fort de Jeux. the room which he occupied and to which i was now introduced is some twenty-five or thirty feet long by say twelve broad there was a fireplace on one side near the middle but no furniture of any kind its walls were all of stone and arched with stone overhead near the ceiling one end was pierced by a small window which admitted what light and air the inmates were expected to enjoy but which seemed enough to keep the place sufficiently dry for habitation on the mantel over the fireplace was the lower half of a skull most of the brain cover having been taken off and resting on what remained was the following avis which my guide forbade my copying as contrary to the orders of the commandant and for a transcript of which as for many other gratifying attentions i was indebted to Monsieur giraud to whose archaeological and historical labors i have already made allusion Toussaint L'Overture, who effected the enfranchisement of the negroes of his country, and in the day of his prosperity designated himself as the Bonaparte of San Domingo, and who wrote to Napoleon, the first of the blacks to the first of the whites, terminated his career in this casement of the donjon of Fort-de-Joux. It is pretended that he answered an aide-de-camp of the first consul, who came to ask him where he had concealed his treasures say to your master that i will die before he shall know anything from me the chef de bataillon amillot commandant of the place du fort des jeux found him here in a corner of his fireplace struck with apoplexy foudroyante the seventeenth terminal the year eleven some days before his death he declared that he had buried fifteen million in the mountains by slaves whom he had destroyed. I felt indignant at finding such a gross calumny as this upon the character of one of the bravest and, according to his opportunities, one of the most remarkable men of his day, perpetrated by the authority of the government. And when I was refused permission to take a copy of it, my inference was that those who placed it there knew it was one of those lies that would not bear ventilation and therefore kept it from the public, but left it to do what it could, quietly, to poison the minds of all who made the pilgrimage to his tomb. I was afterwards satisfied by M. Giraud that I did the French government injustice, at least in one respect, for he assures me that no orders to prevent copies being made of the paper on the mantel had ever been given to the concierge it is a shame however for the government to perpetuate such an absurd scandal upon the memory of toussaint as that he destroyed the slaves who helped him to hide his treasures for the story not only is supported by no evidence but it lacks the first element of plausibility that he may have said he had treasures buried in san domingo and that he may have added for the purpose of being sent back to find them that there were no living witnesses of their burial is not impossible But it is preposterous to suppose that such a man as Toussaint would have perpetrated such a gratuitous crime, or, if he did, that he would have told of it without any apparent motive. This story to the prejudice of the first of the blacks is as unfounded as another which has been current ever since Toussaint's death, and which is generally credited in Haiti now. That he was poisoned by the orders of Napoleon or at least upon the supposition that his speedy demise would gratify the emperor even supposing there was some motive for getting toussaint more completely out of the way than he was which is hardly credible the circumstances of his death are not matters of conjecture or suspicion but of public record and exempt the authorities of that day from any other responsibility for his sudden death than naturally attaches to his treacherous arrest and removal in midwinter from the climate of the tropics in which he was born and had lived sixty years to a bleak alpine region more noted than any other in france for the severity of its winters the day after his death two physicians of pontalier made an official examination of his remains and certified that he died of apoplexy and pleural pneumonia their certificate or process verbal as it is termed, is filed among the archives of the Hotel de Ville in Pontalier, from whence Monsieur Giraud was kind enough to procure for me a copy duly authenticated under the seal of the Mayoralty of Pontalier. As this certificate has never been in print, and as it finally disposes of a very painful suspicion which is still widely credited, I give it to you entire copy of the minutes of the post-mortem examination of toussaint l'ouverture we the undersigned doctor in medicine and surgeon of the city of pontalier pursuant to the invitation of citizen amiot commandant of the fort de jeu and of Renault, justice of the peace of the canton of pontalier have gone to the said fort de jeu when in their presence we have proceeded to the opening and the examination of the body of the negro to son loveteur, prisoner whose death yesterday we have verified post-mortem examination a little mucus mixed with blood in the mouth and on the lips the left lateral sinus the vessels of the pia mater gorged with blood serious effusion in the lateral ventricle same side the choroid pleurus infiltrated and strewed with hydatides the pleura adhering almost entirely to the substance of the lungs, sanguineous engorgement of the right lung as well as of the pleura corresponding, but of a purulent nature in this viscera, a little fatty polypus in the right ventricle of the heart, which otherwise was in a natural state, emaciation of the epiplune, pathological state of this membrane such as it presents after a long sickness, the stomach, the intestines the liver the spleen the veins the bladder exhibited no alteration in consequence we declare that apoplexy plural pneumonia are the causes of the death of toussaint made and certified to be true at the fort de jeu, the eighteenth terminal anno eleven of the french republic signed tavernier doctor of medicine Surgeon Major Graissette Certified to conform with the original by us the undersigned secretary of the mayoralty of Pontalier, Pontalier, 5th December, 1859. sign Jacuit, etc. Through the kindness of Monsieur Giraud, I was enabled to derive from the archives of Pontalier some further particulars respecting Toussaint's condition and treatment during his confinement here which seemed worthy of exhumation they are embodied in documents the originals of which i inspected and of which i enclose to you copies the first simply acknowledges the notice sent to the prefecture of the department by the sub-prefect that toussaint had arrived and informs that functionary that the arrangements for the security of the prisoner are to be under the exclusive direction of the general in command of that division the second notifies the prefect that the minister of war had given orders that toussaint should receive healthy and suitable food and that he should be clothed suitably for the season with the understanding that he must not wear a general's uniform the estimation in which their prisoner was held by the french government and the rigor of treatment to which they deemed it necessary to subject him Are revealed in the third letter from the prefect of the department to the sub-prefect at pontalier the following extract from it might have been clipped mutatis mutandis from one of governor wise's heroic appeals to the chivalry of virginia against john brown i recommend you he writes not to lose sight of this important object if any man imprisoned for the rest of his days whatever the degree of his guilt did not appeal to our humanity i would say that this person who is known only by his repeated perfidy murders pillage incendiarism and the most frightful cruelties did not deserve any but whatever be the opinion we ought to entertain of him the orders of the minister are precise toussaint must not see any person nor must he be permitted to leave the chamber in which he is confined under any pretext whatever the guard of the fort should be set with the greatest exactness and without the relaxation of vigilance the general of division only can modify the rigor of these orders and i know he will not do it without being authorized by the minister the commandant must sleep at the fort unless specially authorized to the contrary by his superiors the supplies of the prisoner have been prescribed they must not be exceeded upon any pretext. Every excess will be stricken off from the account. The next letter, number 4, was written immediately after receiving intelligence of Toussaint's death. In it the prefect says, You will also please, on the receipt of this letter, make an inventory, in the presence of the commandant d'armes, of all the effects used by the prisoner, and sell them at auction to the highest bidder, after the customary notices. You will prepare a report of the sale for me, and remit the proceeds of it to the widow Benedict upon her receipt, deducting the sums due her for her supplies. From these documents and the other enclosed, of which I will not trouble you with an analysis, it appears, if the facts are reported faithfully, first, that Toussaint was guarded with unusual, if not excessive, rigour and that the view taken of his character and career at that time by the war department whose agent declared that if there was an exception to the rule that pity was due to the unfortunate toussaint was the exception was very different from that which is taken of him now by the world and indeed by the french themselves who through the mouth of the most inspired of their modern poets have said of him c'est en masse d'une nation and within fifty years after his cheerless death accepted the lesson of his life by striking the chains off every slave held under a French title. Second, they show that he was not poisoned, but that he died, in all probability, of a disease contracted in consequence of his involuntary removal to a colder and more intemperate climate than at his age, over sixty, his constitution, used to the warmth of the tropics, could endure. Third, It appears that he was abundantly supplied with fuel and artificial light, for in two months these supplies cost one hundred and fifty six francs, which Monsieur Giraud assures me is a very large allowance, for wood then was much cheaper, he says, than at the present day, and now several lights and two fires could be sustained six months for ordinary necessities at an expense not exceeding two hundred francs. Fourth, that he had a servant for a while after his arrival, whether a negro or a Frenchman does not appear. From the general character of the instructions in reference to him, and in the absence of any special provision for the access to him, of one of his own colour, it is to be presumed that it was a Frenchman. Fifth, that he was allowed to write and have some luxuries, such as nutmegs, sugar, bath, etc., these, I presume, came out of the four francs a day, allowed him from the first for board, washing, and mending. Sixth, It is apparent, unfortunately, suggests M. Giraud, from the moderate sum of 128 francs 70 centimes, which the effects supplied by the government brought after only seven months' use, that his wardrobe was not probably supplied as it should have been, for such a severe climate seventh and finally it appears that a woman was provided to keep his apartment in order the order forbidding toussaint to see anyone not attached to the service of the garrison seems to have been unnecessarily rigorous but it was probably aimed at rigaud toussaint's ablest and most trusted aide in san domingo who was captured very soon after his chief and sent to the fort de jeu where he remained until after toussaint's death when he was released they never saw each other though sleeping so near together after they separated in san domingo upon the walls of toussaint's apartment i was surprised to find but one inscription from the hands of visitors that was the name of No, a man whom i remembered to have met at porto prince in eighteen fifty four where he discharged the functions of an assistant secretary of state in the department of foreign affairs under Soloquet, and who had the credit which i do not doubt he deserves of having written the telling and statesmanlike dispatches of the haitian government in reply to the agents sent out by fillmore and the english and french governments many years ago to compel the emperor to acknowledge the independence of the spanish or eastern part of the island monsieur no is probably the only haitian who has ever made this pious pilgrimage to the prison and tomb of the most renowned of african statesmen monsieur no i understand died within the last year much regretted by his countrymen whose interests he carefully watched and tended during his life toussaint's remains consigned to a grave under the chapel of the fort were discovered by a captain of engineers in eighteen fifty the top of his skull, which had probably been sawed off at the time of the post-mortem examination and replaced, he deposited in the city library of Pontalier, where it was shown me by M. Giraud, and the rest of the head stands on the mantelpiece in the room where Toussaint was confined and died. 4. By John Greenleaf Whittier "'Twas night." the tranquil moonlight smile with which heaven dreams of earth shed down its beauty on the indian isle on broad green field and white-walled town and inland waste of rock and wood and searching sunshine wild and rude rose mellowed through the silver gleam soft as the landscape of a dream all motionless and dewy wet tree vine and flower in shadow net the myrtle with its snowy bloom crossing the nightshade's solemn gloom the white cecropia's silver rind relieved by deeper green behind the orange with its fruit of gold the lithe paulinia's verdant fold the passion flower with symbol holy twining its tendrils long and lowly the rexia's dark and cassia tall and proudly rising over all the kingly palm's imperial stem crowned with its leafy diadem star-like beneath whose sombre shade the fiery-winged cuculo played yes lovelier was thine aspect then fair island of the western sea lavish of beauty, even when thy brutes were happier than thy men, for they, at least, were free. Regardless of thy glorious clime, unmindful of thy soil of flowers, the wasting negro sighed, that time no faster sped his hours, for by the dewy moonlight still he fed the weary turning mill, or bent him in the chill morass. To pluck the long entangled grass and hear above his scar worn back the heavy slave whip's frequent crack. While in his heart one evil thought in solitary madness wrought, one baleful fire surviving still the quenching of the immortal mind, one sterner passion of his kind which even fetters could not kill, the savage hope to deal ere long a vengeance bitterer than his wrong. Hark to that cry, long, loud, and shrill, from field and forest, rock and hill, thrilling, horrible it rang, around, beneath, above, the wild beast from his cavern sprang, the wild bird from her grove nor fear nor joy nor agony were mingled in that midnight cry but like the lion's growl of wrath when falls that hunter in his path whose barbed arrow deeply set is rankling in his bosom yet it told of hate deep full and strong of vengeance kindling out of wrong it was as if the crimes of years the unrequited toil the tears the shame and hate which liken well earth's garden to the nether hell had found in nature's self a tongue on which the gathered horror hung as if from cliff and stream and glen burst on the startled ears of men that voice which rises unto god solemn and stern The cry of blood. It ceased, and all was still once more, save ocean chafing on his shore. The sighing of the wind between the broad banana's leaves of green, or bough by restless plumage shook, or murmuring voice of mountain brook. Brief was the silence once again pealed to the skies that frantic yell glowed on the heavens a fiery stain and flashes rose and fell and painted on the blood-red sky dark naked arms were tossed on high and round the white man's lordly hall trode fierce and free the brute he made and those who crept along the wall and answered to his highest call with more than spaniel dread the creatures of his lawless beck were trampling on his very neck and on the night air wild and clear rose woman's shriek of more than fear for bloodied arms were round her thrown and dark cheeks pressed against her own then injured afric For the shame of thy own daughters, vengeance came full on the scornful hearts of those who mocked thee in thy nameless woes, and to thy hapless children gave one choice—pollution or the grave. Where, then, was he whose fiery zeal had taught the trampled heart to feel until despair itself grew strong and vengeance fed its torch from wrong? Now, when the thunderbolt is speeding— now when oppression's heart is bleeding now when the latent curse of time is raining down in fire and blood that curse which through long years of crime has gathered drop by drop its flood why strikes he not the foremost one where murder's sternest deeds are done He stood the aged palms beneath, that shadowed o'er his humble door, listening, with half-suspended breath, to the wild sounds of fear and death. Toussaint sens l'ouverture! What marvel that his heart beat high! The blow for freedom had been given, and blood had answered to the cry that earth sent up to heaven. What marvel that a fierce delight smiled grimly o'er his brow of night! as groan and shout and bursting flame told where the midnight tempest came with blood and fire along its van and death behind he was a man yes dark soul chieftain if the light of mild religion's heavenly ray unveiled not to thy mental sight the lowlier and the purer way in which the holy sufferer trod meekly amidst the sons of crime that calm reliance upon god for justice in his own good time that gentleness to which belongs forgiveness for its many wrongs even as the primal martyr kneeling for mercy on the evil dealing let not the favored white man name thy stern appeal with words of blame has he not with the light of heaven broadly around him made the same yea on his thousand war-fields striven and gloried in his ghastly shame kneeling amidst his brother's blood to offer mockery unto god and if the high and holy one could smile on deeds of murder done as if a human sacrifice were purer, in his holy eyes though offered up by christian hands than the lone rites of pagan lands sternly AMIDST HIS HOUSEHOLD BAND, HIS CARBINE CLASPED WITHIN HIS HAND, THE WHITE MAN STOOD, PREPARED AND STILL, WAITING THE SHOCK OF MADDENED MEN, UNCHAINED AND FIERCE AS TIGERS WHEN THE HORN winds THROUGH THEIR CAVERNED HILL. AND ONE WAS WEEPING IN HIS SIGHT, THE SWEETEST FLOWER OF ALL THE ISLE, THE BRIDE WHO SEEMED BUT YESTERNIGHT, LOVE'S FAIR EMBODIED SMILE and clinging to her trembling knee looked up the form of infancy with tearful glance in either face the secret of its fear to trace Ha! stand or die the white man's eye his steady musket gleamed along as a tall negro hastened nigh with fearless step and strong what ho toussaint a moment more his shadow crossed the lighted floor away he shouted fly with me the white man's bark is on the sea her sails must catch the seaward wind for sudden vengeance sweeps behind our brethren from their graves have spoken the yoke is spurned the chain is broken on all the hills our fires are glowing through all the vales red blood is flowing no more the mocking white shall rest his foot upon the negro's breast no more at morn or eve shall drip the warm blood from the driver's whip yet though Toussaint has vengeance sworn for all the wrongs his race have borne though for each drop of negro blood the white man's veins shall pour a flood not all alone the sense of ill around his heart is lingering still nor deeper can the white man feel the generous warmth of grateful zeal friends of the negro fly with me the path is open to the sea away for life he spoke and pressed the young child to his manly breast as headlong through the crackling cane down swept the dark insurgent train drunken and grim with shout and yell howled through the dark like sounds from hell far out in peace the white man's sail swayed free before the sunrise gale. Cloud like that island hung afar along the bright horizon's verge, o'er which the curse of servile war rolled its red torrent surge on surge. And he, the negro champion, where in the fierce tumult struggled he? go trace him by the fiery glare of dwellings in the midnight air, the yells of triumph and despair, the streams that crimson to the sea. Sleep calmly in thy dungeon tomb, beneath Besencon's alien sky, dark Haitian. For the time shall come, yea, even now is nigh, when everywhere thy name shall be redeemed from colour's infamy, and men shall learn to speak of thee as one of earth's great spirits born in servitude and nursed in scorn casting aside the weary weight and fetters of its lowest state in that strong majesty of soul which knows no colour tongue or clime which still hath spurned the base control of tyrants through all time for other hands than mine may wreath the laurel round thy brow of death and speak thy praise as one whose word a thousand fiery spirits stirred who crushed his foeman as a worm whose step in human hearts fell firm be mine the better task to find a tribute for thy lofty mind amidst whose gloomy vengeance shone some milder virtues all thine own some gleams of feeling pure and warm like sunshine on a sky of storm proof that the negro's heart retains some nobleness amidst its chains that kindness to the wronged is never without its excellent reward holy to humankind and ever acceptable to god five by wendell phillips the most elaborate and eloquent tribute to Toussaint Louverture is the celebrated oration of Wendell Phillips, published in his speeches, lectures, and letters, first series, which every one who has read this volume should not fail to find. We have space for the peroration only. I would call him Napoleon, but Napoleon made his way to empire, over broken oaths and through a sea of blood. This man never broke his word. No retaliation was his great motto and the rule of his life, and the last words uttered to his son in France were these. My boy, you will one day go back to San Domingo. Forget that France murdered your father. I would call him Cromwell, but Cromwell was only a soldier, and the state he founded went down with him into his grave. I would call him Washington, but the great Virginian held slaves. This man risked his empire rather than permit the slave trade in the humblest village in his dominions. You think me a fanatic tonight, for you read history not with your eyes but with your prejudices. But fifty years hence, when truth gets a hearing, the muse of history will put Phocion for the Greek, and Brutus for the Roman. Hampton for England, Fayette for France, choose Washington as the bright consummate flower of our earlier civilization, and John Brown, the ripe fruit of our noonday, then, dipping her pen in the sunlight, will write in the clear blue, above them all, the name of the soldier, the statesman, the martyr, Toussaint L'Ouverture. THE END end of notes and testimonies part two end of toussaint louverture a biography and autobiography by john riley baird recording by james k white chula vista